The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. Texas, mighty colossus of the Southwest, a land of infinite variety and violent contrasts, a land where today's ranch hand can become tomorrow's multimillionaire. But more than a state, here is a state of mind, manners, morals, emotions, of people who are often as exhilarating, exasperating, exciting as the land they belong to. Out of this fabulous and tempestuous panorama comes a story of magnificent scope and great personal charm. A cavalcade that spans a quarter century. Of stormy passions, deep human understanding, and love. Always love. Powerful. Unquestioning. Constant. I guess you're about the best looking gal we've seen around here in a long time. I think. Pretty soon. I think I've seen down here. Why, thank you, Jen. That's a very nice compliment. And I'm going to tell my husband I've met with your approval. Oh, well, no. I, I wouldn't do that. I mean, well, no, I. I'm a rich boy. Me, I'm gonna have more money you ever thought of having. Why, that's wonderful, Jim. You sure do look pretty, Miss Leslie. You always did look pretty. It's pretty nice, good enough to eat. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
Tetsu, Bick. Tetsu is no cook. Bick, you should have shot that fellow a long time ago. Now he's too rich to kill. Tracy, we are so excited for our upcoming live event in Indianapolis with Tragedy of Cinema and Middle-Aged and Creeped Out. Yes, we're looking forward to seeing all of you. I'm Todd. I'm Nate. And I'm Sean. And we are Middle-Aged and Creeped Out. We are looking forward to sharing some creepy stories with all of our hometown listeners. I'm Jimbo with the Tragedy of Cinema. And I'm Kyle, also with Tragedy of Cinema. Indy is also our hometown, and we have the perfect horror movie to break down for you guys. Come out and see us on Saturday, July 16th at the VFW on South Lockburn and help veterans at the same time. All three shows are clean, so this is a family-friendly event. Tickets are just $20. Seating is limited, so get your tickets now at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo, and joined once again by my co-host. Lovable Kyle Zainer. Well, lovable is a debatable. Um, Kyle, for your question today. Ooh, questions. I'm ready for any question you possibly have. Well, no, you're not. As long as they're but, not work-related. But, for, but first of all, let me tell you that we're talking about uh, episode 101. This will be the movie Giant, which is our third and final James Dean film. Mm-hmm. So, Kyle, my question for you. Kyle, would you rather be a farmer or a cattle rancher? And no, you can't pick which one works. Oil, ty- <laughs> oil tycoon from this movie, you cannot pick. <sighs> Probably a farmer, just to avoid the smell. <laughs> really, I think, I think a cattle farmer has to deal with a lot of uh, cow pies. <laughs> so, <laughs> leave it to Kyle just to say. <laughs> Gotta put that out there, right there, right, Mailer. You're like, either way, it sounds like a really hard job worth doing. It's an important job, certainly. I admire those who do it, but uh, well, Kyle, uh, you know, we've, we've, deal we've smelled you after you've came out of the bathroom too. So, exactly. <laughs> yeah, how we you do know, with that smell? Many people have, but they live the tale of tale, and that's what's important. So, you would live to be the smeller of the cattle <laughs> exactly. rancher too. Smell, smeller of the cattle rancher. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So uh, wherever yeah, I go, I'm the stench. Uh, <laughs> so we are finishing our James Dean. Uh, trilogy of movies he only did three movies and uh next week we will be recording the real talk of the death of james dean and mysterious circumstances of his death and life um with adz so uh looking forward to that but um it's very interesting when you sit back and you look i don't want to get too far into this because i'll save it for next week but when you look at james dean's career um the three movies that he did do um, all the roles are different. Mm. Um, we'll touch more on that next week. Um, but this is a very good movie. But I don't know if you can call this movie a James Dean movie because he has, uh, I don't, I don't want to say a minimal role. I mean, I will say that, but I mean, the story is not about him. He's more of a 
secondhand background character in this story. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Rough on a Cause and uh, and the uh, East of Eden. East of Eden clearly is a James Dean movie first and foremost. Um, this film specifically, it's almost to the point where it's like if it wasn't in the you know like. You could almost entirely see a plot where you cut out James in character entirely, and you still have a good film overall. Mm-hmm. Um, this, although he still does carry a lot of weight because he's in this film because it's part of the novel and the original story, of course. But uh, this isn't necessarily a James Lee movie in the same sense. This is the last movie he just starred and happened to star in uh, with a significant role, not a link character. And he also uh, tragically died just eight days after the filming of this movie. So yeah, uh, Kyle, go ahead. Let's take it away. All right, uh, Giant released on October tenth and. 1956, and uh, let's see here, directed by George Stevens, writers, um, Edna Ferber wrote the original novel, and Ivan Moffat um, wrote the screenplay. Next up, we have producers, Harry Ginsberg and George Steven, composer, Dimitri Tomkin, cinematographer, William C. Mellor, and editor, William Hornbeck. For the budget of this film, we have $5.4 million um, for the production, which would be equivalent to about $57.4 million today. And then gross worldwide, it came out to $32.9 million, which about gets into about $350 million of value today. Yeah, I sneezed. I tried to hold it in. <laughs> you know, my, my eyeball just popped out. My ears like... <laughs> that, that terrifies me. I read a story the other day of a person holding in their sneeze and they blew a hole in their throat. Not even like, like really that happened. And that terrifies me. That guy had to go to the hospital. Very awkward. <laughs> yeah, you would just Next like, time, you would just, just like, oh, just, I'll just keep going on with this cast list. <laughs> <laughs> you just die on the floor like, well, I'm getting through this podcast. It's the one I'm doing this week. <laughs> Okay. Alien has nothing on me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, very successful movie with a gross worldwide of the equivalent of $350 million today, as I just said before. Next up here, we're going to have move on to some of the technical details. This is a runtime of 201 minutes. This is the longest movie that I know of James Dean starring in at all, um, let alone having a significant role. So, this is a very long movie. It came out like, I think that's about three hours, 20 minutes, right about there. Yeah. Um, sound mix is just a mono audio through RCA sound recording. Color info, this is a color film. Aspect ratio, we have 1.66 by 1. Film length comes out to a whopping 5,535 millimeters. And then, let's see here, moving on, we have some other factoids I'm going to get to in just a moment here. Such as the fact of filming dates was filmed between May 21st, 1955 and October 11th, 1955. So, relatively long for the time period and like um, Jimbo said, he actually passed away just what was eight days, I believe. I believe it is. It's in my notes. We'll get to it. We'll get to it later. It was just like, just literally a little more than a week after James Zaney passed away. And let's see here. So, moving on, we have the awards for the film. Drum rolls and all that kind of stuff. We have in 2016, it was added to the Film Hall of Fame for the Online Film and Television Association. In 2005, it was added to the National Film Registry. And then for the the Academy Awards in 1957, it was nominated for Best Actress in a Supporting Role to Mercedes McCambridge, Best Film Editing, Best Actor in a Leading Role um, for Rock Hudson. This is all nominations. No um, wins was only for Best Director for George Stevens. And the rest are nominations here for Best Costume Design, Best Writing slash Best Screenplay, Best Actor in a Leading Role to James Dean, Oscar for Best... It also nominated for the Oscar Best Picture, nominated for Best Music or Scoring of a Dramatic um, Work or Comedy Picture, 
and nominated for Best Art, Set Direction, and Color. Then also in 1957, we have the David D. Tonsello Awards, where it was won the Best Foreign Production Award, um, awarded to Jack L. Warner. Then 1957, we also won the Directors Guild of America Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Motion Pictures. Then in 57, we also have the Golden Globe Awards for the Most Promising Newcomer, Female, where it's a Carol Baker. And then in 1957, we also have the Photoplay Awards where it won a gold medal. And that is the rewards the for... The gold medal. The gold medal. The gold medal. <laughs> it was in the Olympic How movie original. games. <laughs> the Olympic movie games, they won the gold medal. <laughs> is this where they got giant slalom from? Giant slalom from? Probably. It's probably where they got giant slalom from. That's where the term comes from. That's how I have no idea what you're talking much about. <laughs> you know, the Winter Olympic things where they go down and they jump oh, off the... Oh, yeah, they, they launch off the skis and all kinds of stuff, too. Yeah, 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 probably. It's, exactly. I'm going to say that's that's uh, that's that's true fact. That's, Actually, that's you know what? I don't even know if that's the one it is. I know it has something to do with the Winter Olympics. <laughs> I just totally made that up. Yeah, it's giant on skis, as they say. This is actually a skiing <laughs> movie. Um, you watched the wrong film. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, this isn't Cool Runnings. <laughs> this isn't Cool Runnings. You know, I always hope it's Cool Runnings, but it never is. <laughs> We'll have to do Cool Running someday now. <laughs> um, okay, so moving on. That was the awards for the giant movie. <laughs> Not the God. giant movie. The giant movie. It's a giant it was, It is a giant movie. Uh, you know what? Honestly, I would put this, you know, like um, when you watch Ben-Hur and you watch um, Gone with the Wind. I, I think it's an uh, Lawrence those, of Arabia in that uh, kind Ten of... Ten Commandments. like one of those... Grand epic, scale. Is they called epic movies or whatever, you know, the... the Commonly referred to today. I don't know if it actually is a technical definition. I'm surprised yeah. there wasn't an intermission in this. Yeah, yeah. For three and a half hours, you kind of hope for an intermission but at that the, point. But the the music in it is fantastic too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. It, it, it definitely it is a it is an epic score yeah, for sure. And yeah, once again, uh, um, all the credit to uh, uh, to Matthew Tompkins there. He did an excellent work for the score there. So moving on here, we have the cast for Giant. Here we have Elizabeth Taylor playing Leslie Benedict. She was in such films as Cleopatra as Cleopatra in 1963, Suddenly Last Summer in 1959. Cat on a Hot Tin Roof in 1958, and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf in 1966. Then we have Rock Hudson playing Jordan Benedict Jr., also known as Bick, commonly through the film. Um, as you a, like to call him, Rick? A brick. <laughs> I was seeing Brick. Every time I see Bick, I just, I just want to complete the Brick, because I can see Brick being a nickname, but not Bick. But did he... Was he a Brick house? Was he a Brick <laughs> house? He's mighty, mighty. Or okay. was he... Never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but also he's big, as in B I C K, and I think big lighter at that point too. Like, like <laughs> big he, pen. He's a big, he's a big pen. He's a big pen. He's a big pen, Mister Rock Hudson. <laughs> it's okay. Back to Rock Hudson again. He's in such films as Pillow Talk in 1959 with Doris Day. Yeah, Doris Day. Um, Come September in 1961, and Lover Come Back in 1961 as well. Then of course we have the uh, the reason we record the most the past few years of movies we have James Dean playing Jet Rick, James Dean of course most recognized for well, movies like this and Her Fat Cause and East of Eden and that new movie uh, Finding I think it was like Finding Oliver next uh, year or something like that with a uh, Steve Rogers. <laughs> um, next up we have Carol Baker playing Liz Benedict II. She's in such movies as Kindergarten Cop in 1990, Baby Doll in 1956, The Big Country in 1958. And my father's wife in 1976. You know that that's something that you don't see very often is um, mm-hmm. Liz 
Liz Benedict the second, right? Liz Benedict the second. That's a that's a man, right? <laughs> no, Not... Carol Baker is a woman. Liz Benedict the second. Okay, so the second you don't see that a lot with female names. No, carrying on a female name specifically in the full name, and you are the second of that name. Right. That is highly. In fact, this film might be the only example I've actually ever seen of it. Now, now that I think about the, it. Right. That's what I was yeah. saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's interesting. Um, yeah, and it it. it um, Kind of like, in a way, progressive you would think to some degree because you don't you, you don't see many women you know continue a namesake after each other, yeah. Or in some case, like it's like a <laughs> like the felt like the joke of like trying to be full progressive and like name, marrying a woman and then taking on her name. So it's like, oh, okay, well you're not taking on your husband's name, you're taking on your father's name instead. <laughs> you insist on that. It's like you're still in day serving a, a male, right? Because name. I mean, you always see like like if it's the second, like like let's say Kyle Zane or the second, they usually call him Junior or. The third is Trey, or the fourth is Lost yeah. in translation. Yeah. I don't know. And nor do but, I think there's a female equivalent for Junior either. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So interesting thing. Interesting thing there. Yeah. But uh, that's you know here nor there. We'll go on to the next casting here. We have Jane Withers playing um, Vashta Synth. Um, she's Vashti. Such, Vashti Synth. I'm sorry. Um, I try. <laughs> yeah, she appeared <laughs> in such films as uh, Shooting High in 1940, My Best My Best Gal in 1944. And the heart is a rebel in 1958. Then we have Chill Wills playing Uncle Bolly. He was such films as The Alamo in 1960, Meet Me in St. Louis in 1944, and Guns of a Stranger in 1973. Then we have Mercedes Mercedes McCambridge. I'm gonna try again. Mercedes McCambridge playing Liz Benedict. Uh, she was in such films as All the King's Men in 1949, The Exorcist, the original Exorcist in 1973, Johnny Guitar in 1954, and Thieves in 1977. Then we have the legendary Dennis Hopper playing Jordan Benedict III. Um, Dennis Hopper also, of course, easily best known for movies such as Easy Rider in 1969, Blue Velvet in 1986, probably what else for me, in uh, Speed in 1994, and uh, also Waterworld in 1995. And he's also in Hoosiers. Hoosier, that's correct. He was in Hoosiers as well. Yeah. And uh, I can't remember. Is he a Hoosier native? I can't remember if he is. No, I don't think he is. Not top of my head. I don't know. I got to look it up sometime. Uh, then we have Salmino playing Angel Obregon II. Um, he was in such films as Rebel Fighter Cause in 1955 as well as uh, you know, with James Dean as well. Mm-hmm. And then also he was in Exodus in 1960 and Escape from the Planet of the Apes in 1971, the original. <laughs> then we have Rodney Taylor playing David Carvery. He was in films such as The Birds in 1963, The Time Machine uh, in 1962, I believe. Uh, wait, no, I got that year wrong. I thought that you're right. Okay, whoops, I forgot to mention that. Okay, 101 Dalmatians in 1961, and the last film was Inglorious Bastards in 2009. Dennis Hopper was also in Rebel Without a Cause. He was, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Okay, I should have. And Kyle. Well, after Easy Rider and Speed and Blue Velvet, you know, why I didn't mention anything else. You know, Dennis Hopper had an amazing career. Love him to death. And then we have Judith Evelyn playing Nancy Linton. She was in such films as Rear Window in 1954. Good movie. The Tingler in 1959. Good movie. And Twilight for the Gods in 1958. I'm not sure about that one. I, I, uh, yeah, I'm not sure about that one myself. Okay, so that is the cast of Giant. Jimbo, take it from me a little bit. Yeah, so um, I think we better cover this right now. This movie has some... 
some issues with it. Um, as we know, different time, different era. Uh, there is a lot of uh, racial tension in this movie. Some uh, use of some slang words, um, especially towards the Hispanic population. Um, there is some, I guess, womanizing. There is some animal cruelty. Yeah. There is, you know, there's a, a lot of the... Uh, Very old-fashioned ideas. <laughs> right. Um, but it is a great movie. Um, and I think the overall message is still good, too, by the end. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I wish it would have ended differently, which we'll talk about at the end. But, I mean, uh, you do see a little bit of um, the change in Rock Hudson's character by the end of the movie. Um, he's just a hard-headed uh, cattle rancher. Yeah. Um, and And... When you start watching this movie, it's not like East of Eden where you're like, this is really crazy. Where is this going? There's a stalker. To, to put it in perspective, the beginning of this movie is Rock Hudson's getting picked up by this guy in Boston. Yeah. And he's driving along and he sees his daughter, Leslie, riding a horse. And he's there to buy the horse. Rock Hudson's there to buy the horse, take it back to the ranch. And Rock Hudson, you can tell, automatically is automatically, what's his name, Brick? Uh, Rick. Rick. <laughs> yeah. Rick. Uh, now I got you saying it. <laughs> he's really, uh, he's, you could tell he's already fatuated with Leslie upon first sight. And the the the, the father's like, ah, oh, she's a she's a, a, a beautiful talking, animal. Talking or about the horse. Yeah, and, and he's, he's like, like, yes. She, she sure <laughs> is a beautiful animal. And he's like, you Very, know, that's my daughter. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then, and I was like, double on So I was like, oh, like yeah, that. we're yeah. going to restart the game. meaning, yeah. Right. <laughs> so that sets up the whole premise. Um, uh, Kyle, you didn't give us a synopsis of this movie, so why don't you go ahead and give us a synopsis real quick <laughs> without looking uh, off the top of your looking. I'm head. gonna look a little bit, just a quick glance. Um, but uh, yeah, um, Rock Hudson um, goes to uh, goes to uh, well, that's where he go. He goes to Maryland to buy a horse and uh, ends up finding a wife instead, and the horse, <laughs> and, and the horse, and the horse too. Yes, he does find a wife and the horse too. Takes her back to Texas, and they have. Um, and uh, Liz, uh, is Liz Benefic the first first name too? Leslie Linden. Leslie. Yeah. Yeah. Leslie. Leslie Linden um, has a quick uh, culture clash uh, in, in, <laughs> in, in, in in Texas and understanding how um, how Texas works and how Texas is very different. And they have a bit of a, a clash of uh, cultural and characters throughout an entire lifetime, basically like that, where um, Leslie learns to understand and appreciate Texas for what it is and also big... Um, grows and understands how to be a better person and to get over his own stubbornness and um, be a family man, if you will. Um, that's a very basic synopsis. Right, well, I mean, you, know, um, right? you got to remember this. Uh, uh, Leslie's coming from uh, a rich family in Upper New England, and she comes down there, and, like, one of the first things is, you know, she notices that there's, um, I don't want to call them slaves, uh, like maids, yeah, handmaids that are of the uh, Mexican heritage, very much working class laborers, and, yeah, right. And she, 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 you know, she gets there and she says, there, she's like, starts, hey, what's your name? You know, she's very friendly with them, and mm. like, there's a, a a lady that's been taking care of the house. I guess she's more like the live-in maid, sister, this, yeah, 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 that had been there forever. And she's like, what are you doing? You know, why are you talking to them? They're, you know, this is their yeah, job. You they're know. the help, right? You know. Yeah, they, they do, and then they're, they're in there doing the breakfast and all that. And every morning they're there and they're making breakfast, and they're, you know, serving her. But she wakes up one day and she comes down, and uh, Leslie has already had all the breakfast made and everything. You know, what I mean, she's like, "What are you doing?" And this, so you have the clash between. Her, she's like, "Look, I married my husband. You're not going to take away. I'm not trying to replace you, but you're not going to take away my my 
wife duties. Yeah. You know what I mean? My own responsibilities to the house and the family. Like, I want to be a part of the system. Not to take away from you, but I want to contribute on my own, too. And you come to find out that Leslie is a very caring lady because they uh, they go to, uh, end up going to, like, this town a couple, I, a couple miles away, I guess, basically, is where all the Mexicans live and the, this you see like the cemetery and it's just like crosses and crosses and it's not like even buried all the way the caskets and even if they had caskets and it's just like sheltered tore down uh yeah a really uh poverty stricken area yeah and she has james dean pull over because he's taking her back whatever she goes in there and this uh mother's in bed really sick and the baby's crying and she's in there you know she picks up the baby and the the baby's sick like with 103 temperature and she's like go to get a doctor and james is like like we don't need to be they here. don't send the doctors we out don't, there. We don't they don't come out here so what do you yeah. mean so she makes it her point to help these people out um and then you have the confrontation between her and the uh the well, house and, the his sister and and his and his husband too oh yeah yeah, yeah her yeah. husband's something else which yeah. we'll talk about him in a minute but the confrontation between her and her sister because they brought this horse and this her his sister is like somebody that has been on a ranch her whole life. She knows how to ride horses, and they're like, "Look, nobody rides this horse, yeah, but me." And she she ends up getting on there and she's trying to break the horse, and she, you just see her. She's just like sticking her spurs in him, bleeding. The horse is bleeding all the way. Well, come to find out, he kicks her off the horse, or the horse kicks her off. And she ends up basically dying from dying. her injuries. injuries yeah. Um, which um, I thought this was very telling when uh, Leslie says, look, Doc, I know you're here. You know, you've done your thing. Now I want you to go over to this poverty area and check on this person. You will go down there for me, won't you? You know yeah. what I mean? And this is where you start seeing Rock Hudson and her big and Leslie uh, clash. And then they end up having babies. Uh, <laughs> twins yeah. at first and then another one along the way. But um, he wants a son to come and take over the ranch and be responsible and continue the family legacy. That's been and, in the legacy for years. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's largely built up like everything, the, every way the world works is the way it should work. And he wants to continue that forever. He doesn't right. want anything to change ever. The only problem is, like, yeah. you know, a touching scene in this movie is when um, they're at that birthday party, you know, and the little girl's over there by herself, you know, and she's, she's got a few toys, but he's like, ah, oh, this is my boy. He's going to carry on the name. And he's like, bring him out. And they bring this horse up and, uh, and the kid just starts crying and he doesn't want to ride the horse. And, and, and you see him, he's like, no, he's going to ride this horse. So, uh, they put him on there and they take him around the thing and he's just crying. Uh, Leslie comes over, takes him off. And he doesn't want to do that. So then Rock Hudson grabs him and gets his horse and he just takes off running real, you know, running real fa- riding real fast down the end of the driveway and he comes back. You know, the kid's screaming and then you see uh, Leslie and him have a little confrontation there. Well, fast forward. Um, Wait a minute, a few minutes when the, um, the the young Mexican child gets right. on the horse. Perfectly fine yeah. on his own, rides off, yeah. absolutely perfectly comfortable in the world. So, yeah. um, now, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but was that the kid that ended up going into the military? Yes, that's the kid that ended up uh, I can't think it was fighting the, the war. Uh, not the, the, one, the one that was played by Salmino. Yeah. Uh, uh, Angel. Angel. Yeah. April. So, yeah. Um, as they grow up, you know, he still has plans that he wants his son to run the ranch or whatever. But he doesn't want to. He wants to become a doctor. Um, and then the girl doesn't want to go to, what, medical school, I think it was. Or she wanted to go to medical school, but she wanted to go, like, I, I know she wanted away. to go to a university that was away. I right. Know that. I don't know if she wanted to be a doctor. Which, it's another thing where you're sitting there and... 
And then I think the young girl wanted to be a rancher or wanted to marry into a rancher or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you have that scene where they're in their beds and and each kid, like like Dennis Hopper's character, came to Elizabeth Taylor's character to say, "Mom, look, I don't want to, I don't want to be here. I want to be a doctor." And she's like, "Well, I'll talk to your father, you know, like this." And the girl goes to uh, her father. And he's like, well, I'll talk to your mother. So they're in bed that night, and they're talking, well, you know. <laughs> and they, they start having conflicts. Mm-hmm. And you can tell when the other one tells the other one, hey, your son or your daughter doesn't want to do this. Yeah. Well, yeah, they are. They're going to, and that's because I said so. Yeah. It's very clear. Like, the whole story, like, like I would say, like, probably the, the main point is the racism in the story. And then also, it's a, but more broadly, it's about, like, the world is changing around Rock Hudson's character, Bick. Like, mm-hmm. everything is changing in degree. Yes, you um, get used to new ideas that, like, hey, Mexican people are people and should be treated as such and have the same opportunities that you have. And that also, my son doesn't need to continue this family legacy. He can actually grow up and be his own man, a doctor or something like and that. And it really, you and know... And he struggles with all those well, things. Well, not just that, but right. when Dennis Hopper's character comes back and has married in, um, and a, a, Hispanic a, woman. a Hispanic woman, yeah, and that's when Rock Hudson's like, oh, man. <laughs> you know, so... yeah. But and even he doesn't even if he doesn't like say he, he, like he, he like he still loves his son, but he can't really mask the fact that he does think he's making poor choices specifically in marrying his. Which he points that with. in his face later on in the movie. Like, he look, does, I told yeah. you, you knew what you were getting yeah. into when you married. Yeah, they don't they don't let him off the hook. Oh for that. no, yeah, they really don't. No. They they challenge him on that directly, and I really admire this film for the time for doing this. And even now, it's like some modern kind of stuff. A lot of films don't have that courage to do that kind of stuff. So right. impressive. Um, not just that, but um, also when. We need to talk about James Dean character in this movie because even though he is in the background, he's basically a farmhand, a cattle hand that has been hired and fired so many times from mm-hmm. Bix. Uh, was it Re- yeah. Retina or Raya? Or- Jet, uh, Jet Fink. No, no, I know that, but I mean the the name they call it is it Raya or the what they called the house or the the thing. Oh, um, I think they just called it the big house actually, or something like that. Something no, it's like uh, we're going to Raya. I think is the name of. It. I got it in my notes somewhere. We'll get to it yeah, in a little it's bit. Yeah, around here somewhere. We'll find it. Um, but the interesting point about his character is, you know, um, his sister was always real fond and helped take care of James Dean's character in this. So when she dies, she basically left her little plot of land or whatever to James Dean. Yeah, and they want to buy it because. They just want him gone, right? right? They, they want to lowball him nothing an offer. That, well, no, they didn't. They even highballed him an offer because they said that land is right. worth more than six hundred dollars, and they agreed to pay him twelve hundred dollars for it because they want nothing to do with him. Even though Bick's sister always took a liking to James Dean and thought he had good things ahead of him, um, Bick wants nothing to do with the guy. Just wants to pay him off and let him go and like get out of here, out of my life, out of sight, out of mind. But um, James <laughs> Dean character Jet insists. You know what? He's if like, your, your sister wanted me to have this. Your sister wanted me to have this land. I'm going to take it from you, even though you may be a generous offer. I'm going to take the land and make some of myself out of it. Yeah, and, and I thought he it was, sure does. I thought, <laughs> I thought it was really cool when he, you see him out there and he's out there walking off his property. Remember, yeah, putting up his fence and all some that good, stuff. Some good, some good cinematography there. He climbs on top of the. Uh, what do you call it the windmill thing, the yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the um, not the windmill thing. You're talking the the, the Derek, the oil Derek. He's making uh, making that part too. And yeah, but I'm, I'm talking about when he climbs up the, the 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 windmill thing and he looks just over his land or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, so cool. he's out there digging one day and uh, yeah, he strikes gold and oil just comes flying. Like and that, gold, yeah, yeah. And I like when he when he comes driving that old dilapidated truck. He just cuts through the lawn of the yeah, big. He does not care about he's anything like, anymore. He's just covered in oil. And he's like, I'm rich. I'm rich. But the thing about his character is he's always had a fascination or been in love with Leslie when she came back because she's always treated him nice. 
Yeah. And, and you can tell that when, when he, she goes into his house and he's got like newspaper clippings of her hanging up like married and you know, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, well, this is another little stalker, stalkerish character that James Dean's playing. Uh, but he ends up becoming more wealthy. I mean, you just see his oil thing just build and build. He hits another one and hits another one. And these things are, are – it, it makes it well, – was it Jet Texas, I think, is the name of his company yeah, or whatever? Yeah, sure Jet Texas. And he's actually become more wealthy than uh, Rock Hudson's character who has over a half a million acres. Vastly more wealthy. Not even like, like no. another measure over. Like he's making – Like he's you – know, Like if, 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 if Bic is making millions of year, Jet is making like billions. Yeah, like, well, like he said – like you know. he said uh, – uh, what he he's he's got this uh, whole new hotel airport that he's building or whatever, and he's like, I'm not even going to open it. I just wanted a party or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Uh, but he's always been infatuated. But then he comes up. I don't want to say a scheme, but he becomes infatuated, or a big daughter uh, comes infatuated with Jet. Jet fix. Yeah, Jet. Yeah. As well. Which. <sighs> Boy, that's a whole another because she's it's like a, it's a can of worms. She, she's like because even Elizabeth Taylor's character is like, look, he's old enough to be your dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was like, and Jet uh, was always clearly infatuated with Leslie, and now Jet is infatuated with Leslie's first daughter, which comes to light with the, the famous scene where he because he's just a big drunk. I mean, he's drinking out throughout the whole movie, but it comes to head when he's supposed to give this at the speech where um, mm-hmm. he actually they actually take the daughter down there, and he's giving the speech and. And, and because everybody's gone, he's passed out. He wakes up and he, goes, and he starts talking about Leslie. Like, I've always loved you, you know, and stuff like that. His his daughter hears that, or uh, Hudson's daughter hears that, and now she knows the truth that he, the kind of man that he really is. Yeah. A man who never got over his infatuations and right. just always. So at this big lady. party, uh, you know, uh, uh, Big says, hey, we're going to bring. We're going to do this the Texas way. We're going to do it big. And they bring the whole family on airplanes and, and all that. And they get down there. And uh, Dennis Hopper's character and his wife, uh, the, the Mexican bride, they get down there. And she wants to get her hair hair done at a, a salon at the airport or hotel. Yeah. And uh, she called down there. And she's like, yeah, I'll be down there in a minute. Okay, you have a reservation. I'll be down there. So she gets down there. And the people will not serve her. Because she's Hispanic. Because she's Hispanic. And um, they said, hey, look, this isn't. Our, 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 we didn't do this because as she's sitting there, another lady comes in. Oh, yeah, we'll take you right back. Hmm. And she calls upstairs and, and, and you see uh, her talk to her husband. He comes flying down there. And what do you mean? You know, and he starts throwing stuff through like the glass mirror behind him and all that. And, yeah. And eventually uh, he goes directly to, uh, 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 not interject, uh, to, to confront Jet Fink's character. And, and uh, also, like previously established in the film, that Jet Fink also has those racial biases and also does not like his many people. And he upholds, basically, like stands by the ruling he made. Just like, oh, yeah, he's like, you, you, you made the trouble for yourself when you married that woman. Right. And uh, he go and uh, Dennis Hopper character, uh, uh, what's his name again? Uh, Jordan Benevic tries to assault Jet, but then his guards, but then uh, um, Jet's guards. Grab him, and then Jet actually assaults Jordan as he's oh, being yeah. held out there. Yeah, it gives um, him like a shot in the uh, uh, punch to the face and a shot in the gut or something. Shot in the gut, yeah. And then this is where old Bick Benedict mm-hmm. um, will not stand for his son being assaulted in public like right. that, just for the image sake, not for the actual justice. Of it so, all. so he's like, "You, let's go. You want to do it here? Or you want to do it outside?" So uh, Jet says, "Hey, look, you guys, I'll be fine." So they go to like this back room winery, wine, wine cellar, yeah. yeah, large wine cellar. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know this is where Big finally learns. He's finally decided to let go. He's like, "Look, you're not even worth it." You know, and this is where you see Jane. Uh, is this where he? 
what happens where they knock over all the the white? Does he just drunk and stumble, or does he punch him? I don't remember. No, I don't no, think he, he even he, punches he him. He doesn't even assault him. Doesn't even touch him to to my knowledge at all. Um, he just he's like you're not even worth it, and he's just he's just frustrated. So he just grabs one liquor bottle like this is the end for you, and he just he throws a liquor bottle at the other rows of liquor bottles, and it just causes this almost like <laughs> library cabinet effect of liquor bottles falling down. Yeah, this but if you ruckus. look, it's only like three things. But if you listen to it, it sounds like it's going on. It sounds like, like twenty rows of bottles yeah. just fall down, like you just collapsed a warehouse basically like that and jet being one of the richest man in the world doesn't care at all and just walks up to the nearest liquor bottle that's still intact and he just grabs it starts drinking it out immediately because right. that's all he's ever done in his whole life um so basically jet rink's done mm-hmm. um and this is i think i think right here this is a very uh critical scene at, after this because they go they show uh, uh bick in his hotel room and and uh, Jordan comes in and he's like, look, he's like, you didn't do this for her. You did that because you didn't want your son embarrassed in front of, in, in public in front of yeah. everybody. It was and this is where he age. says, look, you knew what you were getting to when you got married. Mm-hmm. I tried to warn you. So after this, they said, well, let's just get out here. We're going home. So you see him, you know, they're driving the airplanes going over, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sell that the first thing. And they stop at this diner. And I think this is the scene that really... This is his redemption in some small way. You can way. see yeah. uh, this is where he, it all comes together. So uh, you have Big, Leslie. Uh, their, and their grandchildren. Their and grandchildren and um, one of the, daughters, the Mexican bride. Um, Benedict II. Oh, yeah. yeah, and the daughter, yeah. yeah. So they're they're all going in there and the the, uh, the cook, the owner. The cook, yeah. He's like, hey, we, you know, we don't serve... I think it was a Sarge Diner or something like that. Yeah, too. I think it was the name of the place. And uh, so he's Sarge, obviously. He's, so they go, they go over to the table and he's like, "Oh, uh, you know, Papa, the the kid wants ice cream." He's like, mm. "Yeah, yeah, get get my." Get, get he wants ice cream. Looks like he can have a hot tamale. Yeah, yeah. another like off-handed weight racist line. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and and if you, I don't know if you noticed this, but in the background there was a sign that says, "We reserve the right to refuse service to anyone." Mm. Um, it's prominent throughout that diner. Well, yeah. while they're sitting there, and he's like, look, do you know who I am? He's like, I, I, I'm Benedict or whatever, and, and, and uh, I own this ranch, basically. I've, I've wanted whole to, town around you. I've wanted to stop in here several times, so yeah. now I find it. So, reluctantly, he's serving him. Well, while they're sitting there, another uh, Hispanic family walks in. It's like an older man and a, a lady. I, I forget if there's only two or three of them. But uh, he comes in. He's like, "Look, he's like, old man, you're gonna have to leave. We don't, we don't serve you in here." Yeah. And this is where uh, Big gets up. He's like, "Wait a minute. What do you mean? They don't, you don't serve them." He's like, "Yeah, yeah. We, we, we don't have to serve them. They, they need to go to their own place or whatever." Well, this just starts a whole big thing. This is where you see Big just they just uh, starts rolling up his cuffs and they just get into a big fist fight. Yeah. And it's going all over the diner. Uh, you Make know. a huge wreck of the oh, place. Oh, and, yeah. and, and Rock Hudson just gets beat down. <laughs> you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. But uh, as he's laying there on top of the, the food all over him, as he got thrown onto a table, the, the, the cook comes over and he just throws that sign on it that says, we reserve the right to refuse anyone. So, um, mm-hmm. And then finally we get to the end of the movie where um, Rock Hudson is basically recovering from his injuries and he's with Leslie and talking about how... Um, he still feels these biases. He looks at his grandson. He still sees an Hispanic boy. He doesn't see his his grandson necessarily in the same light. Um, and he's learning to accept the fact that he needs to be more respectful of Hispanics and also be more open minded to um, the legacy he's leaving going forward. Right, because and, they're they're, uh, they're watching the grandchildren. And there's two cribs there. Whatever. There's one that's um, 
It's got the the. Uh, I think forget. it's Jordan Bennett got the fourth. I think. At that yeah, point. yeah. There's there's um, one here, and then the the their. Uh, the Mexican grandson's here. I think that's the granddaughter, ain't it? Jordan yeah, Benedict IV, I'm pretty sure, is the, the main Hispanic child. And then he has a white granddaughter right. from his... But they're uh, both sitting there. And they're, they're, the, she gets a phone call like, yeah, we're just sitting here with the grandkids while they're off doing whatever. Mm-hmm. So this is where the movie ends. And as I was telling Kyle, I think what I think would have been a great ending to this film is if they would have shown the Mexican grandchild growing up and taking over the ranch since none of his sons wanted to do anything with it, you know. What I mean, maybe have like show like the uh, the family the, the funeral, full, the family full right. circle. But I mean, yeah. show like uh, the family funeral plot or whatever, and have his grandson standing over the plot, looking at the graves of his grandparents, and then you see him get on a horse and ride away back to the ranch or something. I think that would have been a perfect ending to this. Yeah, I'm not saying what they did was wrong and how they ended it, but I think. If you would have added something like that, it would have just this movie would have just came full circle. Oh yeah, then it would have come all together in a really really good way. I think this film it still ends on a on a on a on a, a glimmer of hope, if you will. That I feel like it's clear that um, uh, Leslie says this is the moment and the, the entire life that I've known you that I have been most proud of you because Bick has learned to f- um, fight for what's right and not just fight for his own personal legacy mm-hmm. or his personal image. He learned to fight um, um, specifically to respect the rights of Mexicans and also see them as people and that they be treated as such and have that kind of awakening in his own mind that he needs to think about other things besides his own you know personal legacy in that point, which he just never did because he's such a stubborn man. Um, so that's kind of the glimmer of hope in his own personal redemption. Like, he's finally on the right path so far into his life. He's finally doing what's right. And I think that's the glimmer of hope that he had going forward. I do agree with you. That ending would have been awesome, especially for the time period of 1950s to have a, a Hispanic man, a, a half-Hispanic boy um, take over a huge ranch in Texas. That's a cool image. Yeah. <laughs> especially for the I think um, a couple of issues or scenes that we need to talk about real quick before we get to the notes is number one, um, the womanizing with the political thing about mm-hmm. uh, the men are sitting around talking about. Um, oh yeah, the, the, they're talking business yes. and uh, they decide that women have no place in there whatsoever, and it becomes into a verbal conflict. Oh man, does it ever! So mm-hmm. um, yeah. Leslie is not afraid to speak her mind, yeah. and uh, there's some uh, issues with that. I'll, I'll save that for the movie for you guys to watch. But that's uh, part of the friction between her and Rock Hudson's character. Yeah, and I, going forward, like whole the whole film, Leslie, um, and this goes further. Like the, Leslie and Bick are both come from rich families and a rich history. But Leslie is an outsider in the sense that she doesn't understand like the um, the social decorum for Texas specifically because it's basically another country in their mind, and also the um, the uh, the racism that goes on in Texas and some of the other social decorum things that go on with it. Right. So Leslie plays as like the wealthy outsider who comes into this family of other wealthy um, people um, but they're still like it's inherently told from the story of wealth we don't necessarily get the perspective of um, how the Mexican people feel and how they're getting their own representation better going forward this is about wealthy people solving wealthy people problems right well you know? on that note I think I think one of the most telling scenes in this movie too as well is when uh, the, their son comes home on the train from war mm-hmm. and he's got like a big parade they're having a big party for him and then you see a newspaper clipping that says Angel uh, Cortez or whatever his name was is coming back today too. And you see the train pull away and there's a casket with an American flag over it and uh, only a few people are there to pull the casket away. Yeah. But you also see, I think this is another part of Rock Hudson's character building where um, he goes and he opens up the uh, his flag cabinet, I guess, and takes a Texas flag 
to the funeral and gives it to uh, Angel's father. Yeah, and th- that's also, I think, why we will kind of agree it's also like the central point of the film, specifically the, the main point about the film being how um, Texas and white aristocrats treat Mexican families. Like, even in the very beginning of the film, Leslie sells like, oh, yeah, I was reading about Texas and Alamo and, and uh, Texas and the history of Texas, and like, they basically just stole the whole country from the Mexico, didn't they? And like, of course, that offends Vic to no end oh, yeah. and talks about the Alamo and all those kind of things, too. And Leslie says, like, I'm open minded, but this is kind of what I read when I read about the history of Texas. Yeah. And she stands by that opinion even throughout the entire film. And even at the end of the film, kind of like the entirety of the film continues to demonstrate those points that the Mexican are being mistreated in this time period. Um, I guess this would be around the 1930s and 40s, specifically because it is going to World War II. So that actually probably like starts in like the 30s ish and ends in the probably the 60s around there. Um, so um, it is uh, kind of like the, the core pillar of the film. There's many other things this film is about, but the main thing is about is how Texans and Mexicans are being treated to each other. Right. So. And another scene we don't want to leave out um, is once the horse bucks off the uh, sister, um, Leslie comes home and asks where her horse is, and Big says, I shot it. He basically killed the horse because he bucked off and killed her sister, or his sister. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, it's very, this movie encompasses a lot of issues. Uh, even for three hours, there's a lot of issues you could dive into. A lot of heavy topics, and a lot of issues. rabbit trails, and you could we could sit here and talk for yeah, hours yeah. about so, it. So. Yeah, we, we could do whole podcasts about just individual topics in this film altogether. Right. So like, we'll be trying to be more all-encompassing here. So uh, this way we can finally get into more of the trivia parts <laughs> and the stuff we've enjoyed. But right. we'll just cover the basics over there right now. <laughs> so um, let's talk about a little bit more in-depth of this movie. So during the production shoot, uh, James Dean appeared in an informal black-and-white television commercial in which he responded to questions posed by actor Gig Young. Ironically, Dean was promoting safe driving and informed viewers, people say racing is dangerous, but I'd rather take my chances on the track any day than on the highway. Before he left the studio, he added one piece of advice, drive safely because the life you save may be mine. Aww. Dean was wearing the same hat and clothing he wore for this movie throughout the commercial. He died a few weeks later in a car crash. Mm-hmm. So talk about an eerie foreshadowing. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more on the Real Talk next week. Yep. Um, also here, according to Rock Hudson, producer and director George Stevens did most of the direction of the actors and actresses before filming even started. In meetings to help them understand the characters and by involving them in production decisions. One day he took Hudson to the production shop where the massive Victorian house at the Rita, oh it was the Rita, Rita there it is. Uh, was being built. Most of the house was just lumber at that point, but Stevens asked what color he think the house should have been. Hudson thought about the Victorian ever, the Victorian era, and then said tan with brown trim. I guess Stevens immediately told the production crew to paint it that color. So the whole reason that whole giant set is that color is purely because of huh. <laughs> Rock, Rock Hudson's Hudson. quick line. Um, Rock Hudson and James Dean did not get along at all. Uh, although there was uh, rumors later on that suggested that James Dean had rejected a pass from Hudson, who was um, a homosexual. Uh, Most sources reported that each had little respect for others' approach to to acting, and Hudson resented what he considered Dean's unprofessional behavior. Mm -hmm. Uh, James Dean was a bear to work with on sets. I mean, we've we've seen it in just the two movies we're covering, and now in this movie, he was just a minor character in this movie, and the stuff I've got in these notes... He was a something to be dealt that, with. Yeah, so that's one of the things. And we'll get to that more when we do the next real talk about the the death of uh, right. James Dean. But, and also, like, more broadly in the whole sense, like, you know, he, like, he was a method actor through and through. And that has a lot of good things and a lot of bad things to it sometimes. And uh, James Dean had a lot of both. <laughs> right. 
Uh, James Dean was so desperate to be in this movie that he offered to work for a minimal salary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Producer and director George Stevens cast Rock Hudson after seeing him as the gunfighter who ages over 30 years in the film The Lawless Breed in 1952. In return for approving the loan to Warner Brothers, Hudson's home studio, Universal Pictures, forced him to extend his contract under four years. Mm. In addition to Hudson's agent, Henry Wilson took advantage of the client's signing by screen roles for two actors as he represented Jane Withers and Fran Bennett. All right, let me ask you a question. Do you know when the uh, studio stopped doing... Uh, actors, contracts, oh, actor roles. Um, honestly, I have no idea. I don't either. Would that'd be a good real guess. talk. Episode. My guess is around the seventies or eighties, but I wouldn't know for certain. Right. Uh, during breaks in filming, James Dean got the local cowboys to teach him how to handle a lariat and his hat until he could act as if he had been working with them his entire life. Good going. Respect the craft. I mean, he yeah he 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 really gets into his characters. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As you hope, and like yeah, this is, this is the kind of film that deserves that kind of attention to detail too. Certainly, right? Yeah. On the day he completed his last scene, James Dean had a new Porsche Spider delivered to him uh, at the set at the end of the, his working day. Mercedes McCambridge was the first person to ride in it with him when he was uh, when he sped across the Warner Brothers lot to drive her to her dressing room. Studio police barred him from speeding there, <laughs> um, and I do believe that is the same Porsche Spider that ended up taking his life. Yeah. So. Unfortunate. Um, Rock Hudson said he usually didn't watch his own movies on uh, TV since he was often very critical of his own performances. However, he said he would always watch Giant whenever it came across it since he was always very proud of his performance. So good for him there, yep. having a piece of performance that he actually liked watching. I know the feeling of like you know having things like hearing my own voice in a recording sometimes drives me insane. But some people <laughs> like it for some reason. <laughs> No, no, not really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Way to tell yourself that. This is actually a make a wish. Oh, you mean? <laughs> uh, okay, Jumbo. Uh, listen to this one here. Let's see, let's see some possible um, alternative castings for Jet Rink instead of James Dean. We have Marlon Brando. What do you think? <sighs> for Jet? Yeah. Mm, no, I could probably see him as Bick. He, yeah, he would have been a good Bic. He he certainly has the attitude for it and the the masculine presence. Right. Yeah. Um, next, I'm not sure. If I, remember, I don't recognize many of these names either. But like, have a Montgomery Clint, another one. No, uh, Anthony Quinn, Sydney Chapman, Richard Basert, Joseph Furr, Van Heflin. I don't know the name. Van Cam- Helsing. What? <laughs> Van Heflin. Yeah, close to Helsing, but not quite. Cameron Mitchell, Richard Boone. John Ireland, Brian Keith, Robert Mitchum. Ooh, Robert Mitchum. Robert Mitchum would have been a good one. That would have been a good one. Yeah. Um, Jack Palance. Ooh, maybe. Rod Steiger. Ooh, that's what you mentioned. Um, ben Gazzara, Rick Jason, Alex Nicole, Alda Ray, and Frank Sinatra was considered for um, You know, he, he probably could have done Jet Rink, but I don't think he could have took directions from the director because he would want to do it. His, His way. way. Yeah. <laughs> 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 boom. Oh, man. So uh, James Dean finished his principal photography on this movie on Friday, September 23rd, 1955. Ah! Sorry, there was a bug. And he uh, sadly died <laughs> in a car crash a week later. Yeah. We almost got it. We almost got it. Live, live on here, folks. <laughs> live on here. Kill the giant. Um, 
that's what that's what that's what you get for messing with me. Exactly, exactly. You never interrupt according to the tragedy center podcast. It's a second ground. The paintings hanging in the Rita Mansion is now displayed with a plaque explaining its part in, in this movie in Santoyo's Minger Hotel. Cool. So you're in San Antonio. We get some pictures of that for us, or we'll look it up online ourselves. Yeah. Either way, too. Um, yeah, and I've heard it's been moved around at the hotel to different. Uh, uh, parts Venues of the, and all the well, no, different parts of the hotel from the 1800s. Oh, so, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, after James Dean's death, late production, Nick Adams actually provided Rink's voices for uh, his voice for a few lines for reshoots or whatever. That makes sense because there's there's showing a lot of moments where it's like it doesn't sound quite right. I right. noticed that uh, personally watching the film too that his voice is just a, like it's it almost didn't match up with his lips too some of it. Yeah, yeah, and it's got a quietness to it. Like it's like it does sound like his voice, but like not like he said it right there. You right. know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, location filming took place for two months outside of the tiny Texas town of Marfa. Producer and director George Stevens did not have a close set, but actively encouraged the townspeople to come by either to watch the shooting, visit with cast and crew, or take part as extras, dialect coaches, bit players, and stagehands. Now, can you imagine, let's just say Marvel, a Marvel movie, Avengers, that you want people to come to the set and interact with the cast? Can you imagine? I know they still try stuff like that on occasion. But still. Yeah. I mean, certainly, you certainly do get crowds outside of the shooting area, so like that, too. And not only that, but for all the ones that came, they said that there was, out of the however many extras that came, 10 of them were actually millionaires. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah, something to do, something to do. Always fun. Let's see here. Uh, according to with Rock Hudson, who ruined bravely with James Dean and co-star Chill Wills during filming, um, shared George Stevens' dislike dislike for his co-star. He felt that Dean's method of acting was completely self-absorbed to the point where he alienated his co-stars, offering no give and take in his performances. Of course, Dean had his defenders as well. Um, and James Dean's author um, Van Holy wrote uh, in James Dean the bi- uh, biography written by Val Holy um, wrote that when Edna Ferber visited the set, Dean liked and charmed Ferber. Trying to teach her some of the rope tricks he had mastered, she called him a genius and shrugged off any troubles with Stevens as a success poisoning, a syndrome that she said knew very well from the days when she had simultaneously hit shows on Broadway. Um, Dame Elizabeth Taylor also grew to love love him and later said, "We would sometimes sit up until three in the morning, and he would tell him he would tell me about his past, his mother, his minister, his loves, and the next day he would just look straight through me as if he'd given away or revealed too much of himself. It would take maybe a couple days before he'd take back on the friendship terms. He was very afraid to give uh, to give of himself. The day after hearing about um, Dean's accident, Taylor collapsed on the set and had to spend two weeks recovering in the hospital. She was suffering from various health problems, including a leg infection, and was also distraught over marital problems with her husband, Michael Wilding. Mm-hmm. So, interesting story there about James Dean. Like, a complicated figure for a very um, brief time in the world. Right. <laughs> uh, Elizabeth Taylor and husband Michael Wildling invited Rock Hudson and his future wife to their house uh, for get-to-know-you drinks one night at the start of production. Hudson described it as a liquid evening. They all got exceedingly drunk and finished the evening at 3 a.m., Taylor's call time was 5.30 a.m., and Hudson wasn't long after that. Fortunately, the scene being shot that morning was a wedding scene with no dialogue, so instead of talking, all they had to do was look lovingly at each other. Hudson and Taylor were concentrating so hard on not being sick that they were quite surprised when some of the people on set started to cry, so convinced that um, they were... uh, 
looking at the, the looks of admiration at each other. The authenticity of the moment. They right. felt like it was They were so like, I'm going to throw up. And was like, don't puke, don't puke, don't puke. Oh, look, is that a toilet? <laughs> well, being madly in love is like feeling sick. <laughs> love sick. That's where the term love sick comes from. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Carol Baker, who played Elizabeth Taylor's daughter, was actually older than Taylor. <laughs> That's so weird. It's where they make it made up for, you know. <laughs> Yep. Uh, next up, Ava Gardner was considered for the leading role for a Leslie, um, but was unable to leave Pakistan where she was filming Bowani Junction in 1956. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, when the production moved to Marfa, Texas on June 6th for location filming, the Victorian mansion set was shipped from California on six train cars. The set was built on the Evans Ranch, 21 miles outside of Marfa, and lashed to four telephone poles to hold it upright. It was really just a facade. Uh, there was uh, three walls with no back, no roof, no in- and no interior. Interiors at the mansion and the other Texas locations were filmed at Warner Brothers Studios in Burbank, California. That makes sense. Yeah, that's how films go. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see here. I'll, I'll get some other alternative casting for um, Jordan Bick Benedict Jr. We have John Wayne. Well, hold up there, Pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> I think over the time he'd have been a little old for Leslie, but okay. Um, William Holden. Ooh, maybe possibly work. Forrest Tucker, mm. um, Sterling Hayden, Alan Ladd, Gary Cooper. Huh, I mentioned him. Errol Flynn, awesome, very interesting. Oh, that would have been awesome. Harry Fonda, Charlton That's Heston. Too. That would have been great. That would have been great. Tyrone Power, Robert Taylor, Jeff Chandler, Victor Mature, Gordon McCree, Charles Bronson, <laughs> James Stewart. Wow. Oh, Burt wow. Lancaster. And finally, Kurt Douglas were considered for the role of Bick. I'd love to see mm. Jimmy Stewart in it. I think he would have been great. He would have been fantastic, I'm sure. Yeah. That's uh, an interesting casting decision right there. That would have been a different life history right there. Could have been a better film. Uh, James Dean refused to show up for one Saturday call because he had planned to move that day. A week later, he arrived late on uh, on a day when Mercedes McKinney had shown up on time, even though the night before she was sent to the hospital for stitches after a bad fall. Producer and director George Stevens dressed him down in front of the entire cast and crew and then he walked off the set and left an assistant to direct Dean's scenes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's just... <laughs> you ever notice some of the movies we cover that actors and directors get in all kinds of quarrels and squabbles? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I, I, I'm sometimes. sure it still happens a lot today, too, but it goes a lot of underhanded stuff. Like, now you see, like, interviews after a movie's film. Like, oh, yeah, we all had a fun time. It was all nice and delightful. But I'm sure, like, behind closed doors, like, screaming matches and throwing furniture and stuff like that still right. happens to this day. Now, um, Jordan Bick Dinnick Jr.'s um, estate comprised about 595,000 acres. This converts to roughly around 929 square miles, or the size of one or two counties in some states. Everything is bigger in Texas, they say. Right. Um, so this this film was released in Canada on DVD. It, it did not have a DVD release in America for the longest time. I believe 2003, maybe 2005. But on the DVD release, there was a lot, uh, There was an inside joke uh, in the chapter listings of the scene selection. If you remember the birthday party scene where we talked about earlier, uh, where Big Junior uh, forces his unhappy son to ride the horse, uh, is titled "Uneasy Rider." Oh, yeah. So Big Son was played and adulted by Dennis Hopper, who went on to co-write, direct, and appear in "Easy Rider" in 1969. That's a really, really funny joke. That's really good. <laughs> I know. I hate how good that is. You remember how? You remember uh, DVDs are becoming extinct because everything's digital now. But I used to love. You know, I'd go to Walmart at midnight when I was working uh, mm-hmm. at a warehouse, and, and I'd buy all of the new releases. You know yeah. what I mean? And some of the uh, 
the, the menus on DVDs had a lot of little hidden Easter eggs Inside and gems. jokes. They yeah. were great. I, I, I yeah, I love when people had fun making DVDs or some of the extras, and that's one of the um, one of the um, the failings I feel like of like Voodoo and other streaming services. They just lose all those special features, right. and nice little hidden little Easter eggs and all those kind of things too. I wish they brought more of those back in streaming services like Voodoo and Amazon and everything everywhere else. Right. Let's see here. At the premiere of the movie, um, some of the viewers in the theater wept when they saw James Dean appear on screen. The reason was due to the fact that they would never see him in another movie again. Mm, but well, little did they know that he will be starring in a, in a new movie. This, is it this year or next movies? year? I think it's the end of this year. I'll look it up real quick. Just make sure. I, I'm yeah. really, I'm really curious about that movie. Yeah, I, I, I feel like, like, what if that movie is just incredibly bad, just only noteworthy? Because it has James Dean in it, digital James Dean. Well, what if he wins like an Oscar or something? How are they gonna? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I don't think he. Uh, no, you, you certainly wouldn't be eligible for anything like that. You don't um, think so? But what you know. is the? Oh, Finding Jack is the name of the movie, and uh, Finding Jack is going to release. I'm looking it up right now. I got to Google it real quick. Finding Jack. Buy me some time, Jimbo. Buy you some time. Okay. And uh, oh wait, no, I got it right here. Oh wait, I don't. I don't. Never mind. Keep uh, 2020. Uh, it's supposed to come out in 2021. Actually, that's surprising. Is it out now? Um, it says it's not canceled. It doesn't have an official release date that I can find. I'm, looking, oh, okay. I'm still looking it up. Well, I'm going to keep Movie going. So three date. days uh, before shooting was scheduled to start, James Dean was actually entered into an auto race in Palm Springs, California. When producer and director George Stevens found out, he put his foot down and insisted that Dean not be allowed to race until after production was finished. So, James Dean liked to race. Mm -hmm. Uh, James Dean also refused to undergo a lengthy makeup process for his later scenes, claiming, A man of 45 shows his age in thoughts and actions, not in wrinkles. He (laughs) was only allowed them to gray his temples and put a few lines on his forehead. Well, James, I got something to tell you. I'm 44. I'll be 45 this year, and I already have gray hair, bud. I I had gray hair at 18. I was stressed. (laughs) Uh, It was James Dean who suggested to producer and director George Stevens that Jet Rink's final drunken soliloquy should be done in long shot to emphasize the character's utter isolation, which really worked for that character in that scene, I do believe. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he got hurt when he flipped over the table like that. It looked I, like he landed right on his painful. head. Even like even they have like a mat down there, yeah. like it, like it'd still be a rough fall. I'm sure it wasn't comfortable at the very least. I wonder if he did yeah. all his own stunts. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I would think he would for the time. I cannot find anything about the Finding Jack movie releasing at all. Uh, it's um, only in your head, Kyle. I don't think exactly. it ever existed. Well, yeah, the movie never existed. I just made it up. That's right. Um, right. Okay, here, I got one more for you right here. Let's see here. Um, James Dean and producer George Stevens constantly clashed with each other during filming. Dean called him every obscene word under the sun. Right. Classic I do James believe, Dean, as we hear. I think it's in my notes here in a little bit, that his nickname for him was Fatso. That's so, yeah. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Jimmy knee on the show. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, Jeff Rink was based upon the life of Texas oilman Glenn H. McCarthy, 1907-1980, an Irish immigrant who was associated with symbol of opulence in Houston, Texas, the Shamrock Hotel, mm. which opened on St. Patrick's Day in 1949. 1949 on St. Patrick's Day. Yep. Here you go. Are you ready? I'm always ready, Jimbo. Try not to laugh at this fact, okay? I know okay. you're going to laugh, okay. but try okay. not to. Okay. Gary, <laughs> Gary okay. Cooper happened to be at Warner Brothers the day Mercedes McCambridge was doing hair and makeup test. When he got a look at the brand new Stetson hat she was supposed to wear in this movie, he said, You mean to sit there and tell me that a Texan woman who spends most of her waking hours in the middle of hundreds of head of cattle would be caught dead in that stupid store hat? <laughs> I ain't even got to the funny part yet, Kyle. 
Uh, he called a wardrobe man and with uh, whom he had worked and gave McCambridge an old hat he had worn in other movies. It even had his name in the band. When McCambridge noticed the water stains, she asked if it had been rained on. Nope, he replied. Peed on a lot. That's oh. what makes it such a fine Texas hat. No self-respecting rancher wears a hat that his horse hasn't peed on. She wrote in her memoirs that James Dean tried to steal it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that went a lot weirder than I thought it would. Why, why, why is Kyle suddenly going peed on hats? I don't know. <laughs> uh. <laughs> going on Amazon for authentic cowboy hat. <laughs> no, he's just going to questions and answer. Does it have horse pee? <laughs> This was the highest grossing movie in Warner Brothers history until the release of The Exorcist in 1973. Mercedes McCambridge Jimbo, appeared what? in both He peed movies. on the hat? What are you talking about? I'm still... I haven't recovered from this. What? <laughs> this is ridiculous. What Jackson would be like, oh yeah, this is a good hat. My horse peed on it. What? I've never heard that in my life. Not in a single episode of King of the Hill did that happen. <laughs> I told you not to laugh, Colin. Here you are. You're this still laughing. This is absurd. I'm in shock, Jimbo. This isn't, this isn't laughter. This is pure shock and denial. I'm laughing just to help myself from, like, just dying. Oh, uh, what? Are, are you done now? I, I guess. I, guess. I told you it was going to be an utter shock value. All right. All right. Let me, let me add one right here. Okay. This movie is included amongst the 1,001 movies you should see before you die. The list edited by this, Steven Schneider. This is, this is the movie, 1,001 movies you should pee in a hat before you watch. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> always. Always pee in your hat, folks. It's, it's, it's your own urinal. You take it anywhere you want. In an interview, Rock had to claim that when he viewed this movie for the first time with an audience, he was booed throughout. But when the audience cheered him in the di- uh, diner scene, he realized the reaction was to his character and not to his abilities as an actor. Uh, which yeah. is a great... Yeah, that's just how show you your job. For. Yeah, yeah, and that's that is the arc of your film. You know, Bick is wrong through ninety percent of the movie, but then he fights the one guy in a, in a, in a diner. Uh, the mass, right the massive painting set, uh, seen on the set of the Benedict House is now in the Minger Hotel in San Antonio, which uh, Kyle alluded to. It's also hung in several spots in the original eighteen hundred sections of the hotel. Yeah, um, one of the things we didn't uh, talk about as deeply enough, but at the beginning of the movie, you see that Bick and Leslie Benedict are sleeping in the same bed as a young married couple. But when their children are grown, they sleep in separate ones. Right. Um, and there was a whole like subplot there where Leslie actually left and went back to Maryland with their kids to presumably to leave the marriage altogether. But then Bick finally came back and they got back together. But they clearly had um they had set new boundaries with each other, which was actually a really cool and well, um, authentic thing to see in their relationship. Well, like you got. You never really saw them in the same bed. I do not believe. I believe they were oh, going yeah, they into were in the, the same, same bed. They were going to the same room. No, no, because the, the very first day after they get married, they're in the train in the bed together. But that's and not then a after, bed. After, that's more of like a the the pull. Well, it's thing. a train yeah. car pain bed. Yeah. But then after their first ag- argument, specifically about like um, women talking during business time <laughs> and men <laughs> <Yeah>. talk, <laughs> they have a huge argument, and then there's the illusion of intimate relations for the makeup, the reconciliation, and they're seen in bed together um, the morning day of. I guess you're tired. right. I guess. So um, in fact, they had a very intimate relationship very early in their marriage. But after they left and came back, they kind of set some new boundaries where they weren't as intimate with each other. They had more of a a uh, 
a non a, a less romantic but still functional relationship together. Um, it hasn't gone for it. That's interesting and kind of like authentic thing to say. Like these are mature people who don't see eye to eye on a lot of things and still have their differences, but they're also still like a married unit. They're still they still they stay together for their family, right? Which is pretty cool to see in a in a, in a movie of that era and today even. Uh, during a location shooting, Warner Brothers gave the principal cast members battered old Chevrolets to drive around. James Dean was so frustrated with this movie, he drove his out of town and shot out the windows with a BB gun. This was the last straw for Warner Brothers. After previous complaints about his speeding, the studio took his car away from him. When he got Mercedes McCambridge to drive through the country slowly as he sat on the hood of her car shooting rabbits, they took her car away too. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't put her on the casting, and I regret that now. But Elsa Cardenas, who is playing um, Juana Guerrera, has a striking relevance to Elizabeth Taylor. That might explain why Dennis Hopper's character, um, Jordan, uh, uh, later um, found her so infatuating and started dating immediate, uh, had an immediate romantic reaction to her. And uh, mm. you can't remember when they first touched, and they actually had uh, they had electricity between them. Right. <laughs> so um, that could be one of the and, things. And I, I think... Jet Rink and uh, the daughter that was eventually when she comes over the same thing the, the electricity mm-hmm. handshake it sparks yeah right. sparks fly as they were uh, George Stevens had a hard time directing James Dean as we've stated the problem started with Stevens ordering Dean to get rid of his actor studio mannerisms like moving his head from side to side or hopping while walking the two argued constantly at one point Dean went on strike for three days Dean even ordered his agent to come to the location to help him deal with Stevens he also referred to Stevens as Fatso behind his back. In defiance, Dean would often hold up production for hours, causing this movie to go over schedule. Mm. Yeah, so difficult actor to work with. Um, even if you got a good performance out of him, it was still uh, it was hard fought, I'm sure. Um, early on, when having a dinner with his host, Rock Hudson describes Texas like being another country altogether. A few decades later, the state of Texas itself, the Texas State Department of Tourism, used the slogan, Texas. It's like a whole other country. And a highly successful advertising campaign. I don't know if you've seen those ads as well, but I remember seeing, like, you know, uh, Texas Tourism ad. Like, it's like a whole other country. I've seen those, too. (laughs) Mm. Uh, The screenplay only had 70 pages of dialogue for a three-hour and 21-minute movie. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, um, when the big house is viewed from a distance, the Rita house now, as we've been calling it, um, actually, the um, initial iconography inspired the original Adams Family Mansion in the original TV series. That is cool. That's a a really cool factoid right there. Right. According to Rock Hudson, and now... Uh, Elizabeth Taylor, um, after the death of James Dean was announced, the director and producer George Stevens required a distraught and inconsolable Taylor to complete uh, reaction shots for a scene she played with Dean that that she never forgave him for. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's sad. Um, In the 1940s and 1950s, the unusual, or sorry, the usual policy for movies was for characters to start young and get older was to cast older actors and actresses in the Asian to show them as their younger selves. This movie took then the largely radical step of doing the opposite, casting younger actors and actresses and using makeup to make them appear older. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's. I think that's the, the the better way of going about it. You can maybe look older, but maybe we look younger is a... Uh and always a more a harder thing to get to, I imagine. Right. Yeah. But I imagine like you know, low resolution, you just paint some makeup on their face, like, okay, put some plaster on, he'll look like he has smooth skin. <laughs> 
Sorry, that's bad. Um, in the famous final scene in which Jordan Bick um, battles it out with the racist owner of the of the diner, is is drastically different from the original novel. Um, in the book, Brick is not present at all. I said Brick again. Bick is not <laughs> present at all. Only his wife, daughter, and the Mexican daughter-in-law are there, and they simply leave without causing any trouble when the diner owner orders them out. So basically, like the whole ending is kind of like a little bit missed in the original novel, I guess. I wonder, uh, that novel might be pretty good. The novel might be pretty good, and also like it's clear it's like maybe it's like it's meant for the reader to take that lesson, and not for the you know for Bick to take a lesson. Right. Um, uh, the heat in Texas was so great that during one day of shooting, Mercedes McCambridge's makeup melted into her skin. In, creating a serious infection that left her neck scarred. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things they do in a lot of modern movies now too, and especially like in Rocky as well, um, in the in the final fist fight, um, Rock Hudson's punches are actually slightly louder than the diner owners. Um, this is a subtle effort to make the audience believe that the, he would win the fight. Um, Rocky does a lot of the same thing, especially like in the final round when Rocky's about to do his real Rocky thing and beat the opponent up. His punches are just like, just might as well be a bell ringing right on top of their face. You know, just, they, just you know, like a Liberty Bell itself, just like a pure America. Punch them in the face <laughs> in terms of America. noise volume. And then the other person like adds like nothing to him at all. So um, every film does this to some degree. Right. But simply in this film, we did it kind of first probably, possibly. At one point, James Dean was said to have ruined an outdoor scene by yelling, cut! And then unzipping his pants and urinating in full view of the crew and visitors on the set. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he... Peed on his hat. Uh, <laughs> undoubtedly. It's tradition in Texas, after all, to pee on your hat. What in the world is that? Okay, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Kyle will have a real talk of peeing exactly. on your hat. Exactly. I'm going to go down, I'm gonna down the rabbit hole of documentaries about this now, uh, learning about peeing hat history. <laughs> uh, Clark Gable was considered for the role of Bick Benedict Jr., but was rejected as too old by studio head Jack Warner. Yeah. Um, in a prolonged scene, it is revealed that um, ranch hand O. Angel um, Obergen had actually been killed in World War II and his body was returned home for burial. Um, During the war, American battle dead were interred in temporary cemeteries. It was only after the war that, depending on the family's wishes, um, the American war dead were reburied in permanent cemeteries abroad, national cemeteries, or returned to the family, as in Angel case. For a burial at home, accordingly, this scene would have occurred between 1947 and 1953 when the reburial process took place. And that is um, sourced in the, um, I believe, the book Safety Rest, um, Safely Rest by David P. Colley. Mm. So interesting historical factoid there. Uh, for the scene where Rock Cousin had to play Dick Jr. as an older man, he had to wear a 50-pound bet- belt to give him a heavy, middle-aged appearance. Uh, this features Rock Hudson's only Oscar-nominated performance, and this movie spent an entire year in the editing suites. Oh, wow. James Dean was so completely immersed in his character that he hardly ever changed out of his costume. Yeah, I can see James Dean doing that for sure. Yeah. i got to be immersed in the role. i got to be Well, what was it? Was it East of Eden where he'd be like, or Rebel Thought of Claus where he'd be laying down in like the fetal position and then they say, uh, uh, you know. Act and he would spring yeah, up jump, and jump up. in the role. Yeah. Uh, constantly trying to get in the mindset of his character and I imagine with the whole old man outfit he tried to wear that constantly probably. Uh, Jordan Bick Benedict Jr. and Riata Ranch were based on Robert Bob J. Clegberg Jr. 19, or 1896 to 1974 and the King Ranch in Kingsville, Texas. Like the uh, over half a million acres of uh, Riata, King Ranch compromises 825,000 acres and includes portions of six Texas countries, including most of Kilburg County, or sorry, Clyburg County, and much of Kennedy County, and was largely a livestock ranch before the discovery of oil. Oh, wow. George Stevens made this movie for no upfront salary, but a percentage of the profits, which... 
Turned out. I'm sure it pays off handsomely in the end. Right. Yeah. I remember um, reading uh, another fun random factoid um, um, going on. I'm pretty sure it was Matt Damon um, turned down the most money of any actor in Hollywood ever because he was offered the lead role in Avatar and it was offered 5%, about 5% of the gross earnings of the film, which would have been about half a billion dollars if he'd taken the deal. Oops. There's never been another actor who's turned down as much money as Matt Damon. <laughs> I've heard that random right fact top of my head just remind me right there. I wanted to share it. Matt Damon, constant life and regret. Avatar 2 just released the first trailer, by the way. Go watch it. It looks really good. Uh, the character of Jet Rink inspired Larry Hagman's character, J.R. Ewing, on Dallas in 1978. Mm-hmm. Um, as part of his direction of Rock Hudson, George Stevens took him to screens and movies starring Gary Cooper and Spencer Tracy, and pointed out the performance elements he wanted to see in Bick. Mm. So once again, like, and I believe Gary Cooper and Spencer Tracy were some of the roles that were considered for taking the role together. So pretty interesting. He's like, I want you to be like these actors, but also I don't want those actors. <laughs> kind of funny. Uh, the start date of this movie was delayed a few months so that Elizabeth Taylor could give birth to a son. Uh, this also gave Warner Brothers time to cast James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause in 1955. Uh, production designer Boris uh, Levin's design for the living room at the Benedict Ranch House Riata was used again at the as the grand entry hall for the movie Sound of Music for the Von Trapp Sound family in 1965. Both used the same split staircase proportions, uh, scale, and mezzanine hallways. However, the color scheme, detail, uh, details, and decorations were different for each movie. Each were also independently constructed in different studios nine years apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, production. Oh, we already talked about that. Yeah. Um, one thing. Um, James Dean actually hadn't had time to recuperate from making Rebel Without a Cause before yes. being on this film movie as well. So he was. Yes, completely- they said that uh, he he was coming to the. Um, oh, it's right here. Uh, James Dean' rebellious behavior started with a press luncheon announcing the start of production. Not only did he arrive late, but when a photographer asked him to remove his glasses, he responded by putting a set of clip-on sunglasses over them. He also refused to take. A, he also refused to. Take a bow when producer and director George Stevens introduced him. Later, he tried to rationalize his behavior by claiming he had come directly from the set of Rebel Without a Cause and was concerned about being seen unshaven and tired. In fact, he had finished work on the movie the night before and was exhausted. With the earlier film running over schedule, he was shooting wardrobe and makeup tests for this movie while finishing Rebel Without a Cause and did not get a promised vacation between the two movies. Granted, <laughs> when a young man do it, it's just a rebellious child that annoys the, the crap out of you. But what a <laughs> boss move of just like, take off your glasses and then you just clip on your own sunglasses <laughs> like the boss meme. I mean, just... <laughs> Devastated. You can't even you can't talk to that man. He owns you now. <laughs> uh, you know, Dennis Hopper played the son of uh, Elizabeth Taylor in this movie, but in real life, he was only four years younger. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's not um, <laughs> one night during lo- uh, location shooting, Mercedes McCambridge and James Dean were so mad at producer and director George Stevens, they set up consuming a jar of peanut butter, a box of crackers, six Milky Ways, and 12 Cokes. Like Kyle does every other night. Always, always and forever, and always will. Um, Angel Obergen II was some years older than Jordan Benedict III, Jordy, but actually Dennis Hopper, who played Jordy, was almost three years older than Salmino, so Salmino played the younger character, even though you know Dennis Hopper was older. Yeah, back there. Uh, a young face. Uh, James Dean tragically died, as we said, eight days after the completion of this movie in his brand new Porsche uh, 550 Spider. Dean was pronounced dead on arrival at Pasa Robles Hospital, California. He was only 24 years old. Uh, James Dean objected to being kept waiting for his scenes. 
After being called to the set three days in a row without being used at all, he skipped his next call. <laughs> like, hey, they didn't use me these three days. They must not really need me today either. Yeah. Um, uh, I mentioned Rod Taylor and the other casting for him, but I'm pretty sure he actually only has less than three films in the uh, three three scenes in the movie um, as he appears as uh, Elizabeth Taylor's proper British fiance. Yeah. Uh, Carol Baker told interviewers that at the premiere, many fans turned up thinking that James Dean's death had been a publicity stunt, that he would make an appearance. A near riot ensued when he obviously did not appear. Oh, wow. So, okay. So. Uh, here we go. This is some uh, casting <laughs> calls for uh, Jordan Benedict III, uh, Robert Francis, John Kerr, Jack Lemon, Kevin McCarthy. Oh, Jack Lemon. And yes. Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> Live long and prosper, <laughs> oil ranchers. Just hearing Leonard Nimoy talk about cows for an hour. Like, oh, yeah. And last but not least, George Stevens considered casting Audrey Hepburn. Yes, the great Audrey Hepburn as Leslie before deciding that she was too sophisticated for the role. So, yeah. Kyle, let's get your thoughts on the movie. Audrey Giant. Uh, thoughts on the movie Giant. Uh, one quick thing. Audrey Hepburn is just like one of those things where like, I love her in any film she's in, but she's also distractingly beautiful in every film she's in. So it's like one of those <laughs> things like, it almost takes away from the film because you're just focused on looking at Audrey Hepburn the whole time. <laughs> Personal note. <laughs> but, uh, yes, overall thoughts on the film Giant. Um, this is of the James Dean movies we've covered, specifically being Ralph Cause and East of Eden since then. This is probably my favorite one of these films. Um, even though James Dean has a um, has a smaller role in this film than they have to, obviously, um, but I um, really really enjoy this film. I feel like I can go back and rewatch it and find um, a dozen other things that I really appreciate about it and really respect about it. That a really good film. So um, I do think it's a bit of a it's a bit dated in social attitudes and some of the language they even use in the film for that time. Even probably a little bit like, nah, I would have gone a little differently, a little more progressive in my mind. But I think it does serve a purpose to convey um, some of the injustices going on. So it still makes sense to me. But um, overall, I think this is an excellent film, a great film, well worth watching um, for anyone. Um, um, probably not for all ages immediately. I wouldn't show this necessarily to children. And also, I don't think children would find it very enjoyable. But for a young adult or adults, I think there's a lot of the <laughs> gathered and understood from this film. So I really do appreciate it for that and I think um, I recommend anyone go watch it and so for me it's a it's a great film that I'm gonna I'm gonna keep in my repertoire of movies that I'm gonna go back to and watch over and over again to be like ah now I get what they're going for in this film and I really appreciate it so that's how I feel um, Jimbo how do you feel about The Giant it's a great movie um, you know after watching Rebel Without a Cause and eh, and then you watch East of Eden and you like, oh well this is a lot better um, you start you start seeing even though James Dean only had three movies you see in each of his movies that he plays a different type of character and i love how this movie when you when you when you watch it, it the plot just carries along even though they do the time lapse like um, where he she announces he's pregnant or she's pregnant and then they have the babies, and then they have like the babies, like their fourth, fifth birthday party, and then they're grown up. The, the plot just stays the same, even though there's the underlying plot throughout the whole movie. I think that's really well done. I think the makeup was great. The music was fantastic. Um, the, 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 the challenges and uh, problems that they faced uh, can be same and used for the problems that you face today in certain situations. Yeah, I mean, and the way they tackled it. Yeah. Um, like I said, the only the only downfall is I I would have I would have done the ending differently uh, because it just seemed like it just kind of just 
closed, even though he kind of found redemption at the end or started to change his. There's his a way hopeful of note, but you never know if it carries all the exactly. way through. Exactly, you don't know. It if would have been actually, nice if at the end, you, like you knew, like he actually did take a step forward and embraced his grandson to take over the especially, ranch. Especially, especially if there was you know. a scene, let's say the 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 grandson standing over the 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 family plot, and you hear Rock Hudson's voice say, you know. I've lived my life doing this, blah, 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 you know, finally mm-hmm. probably call you my grandson, whatever. Yeah. Uh, it, it's neither here nor there. I don't think it would add or subtract anything from the movie, but the way they ended it for me was a little abrupt. It's like watching the old Universal Monster movies where the ending, it just, they, the monster dies and cut. They, they, they're yeah, done. Yeah, it's done. It's yeah. Done. yeah. That's it, kind it, of what it reminded it me felt, of. Yeah, I felt like, like, felt like, there's like the last 10 minutes of the movie just got cut off and I was like, wait a minute, you actually could have a little bit of an epilogue right there of him learning and being like setting up the groundwork of like, hey, I'm going to have a brighter future now. So, so and, Part of me wants to know if there's any alternate endings, any footage that they didn't use that was after this. Um, You know, I mean, I think it would be cool to find out, but great movie. So, yes, I definitely recommend it for anybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't forget, uh, live show, um, July 16th. Yeah, every day a little bit closer. It's coming just around the corner. It's going to be there before I know it. Come see me and we can make fun of Kyle together. No, I'm kidding. Exactly. I uh, encourage everyone to make fun of me. Always, <laughs> for sure. No, uh, I'm a Kyle's, Kyle's good people. I need this. <laughs> Kyle's good people. So, uh, July 16th, uh, Hillbilly Horror Stories, A Middle Asian Creeped Out, and us live in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if you want to join us on the Facebook group, the Tragedy of Cinema Podcast Facebook group. Facebook group. TikTok's finally coming around in a way that I actually feel like I can get around to it now, so that's TikTok's good. TikTok's coming around that Kyle almost opened up TikTok yeah, and I, almost looked at it, exactly, but he had, exactly. don't, don't like how it Jimbo doesn't around. need to remind me every week to do that thing I say <laughs> I'll do every week, but I'll get it eventually, I right. promise. Someday, uh, somehow, if you'd like the to best leave, thing ever. If you'd like to leave us a review uh, on iTunes or whatever, we will read it on the air. Uh, just send an email, or I'll look at the reviews, but or send an email at thetragedyofcinema at gmail.com if there's a movie you'd like us to cover, talk about. Um, we got some interesting things planned coming up. Uh, me and Kyle's in the middle of talking some, about some different stuff. Uh, we, who knows? We may do a summer of sequel series where we go back and do sequels of some of the movies we've covered. Um, we're just tossing around different things right now. So I think we've rattled on long enough. It's kind of a long episode, but I would say it was a... Giant, Giant episode, episode. <laughs> yeah. Wow, man, you, I like how you were on top of that. You were over there playing Pac-Man with the collaborator. I, I was making the walk walk noise <laughs> in my head. It was great. So, well, with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut.